It's time now for the complete story with Rich and Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich and Dick Bott with today's complete story. You know, Rich, um, all of life is put together as ebb and flow. The tide goes out and the tide comes in. And that is just kind of the cycle of everything, I guess. But when I read the transcripts of our listeners that call in on the listener comment line, that really helps me and gives me ideas of things we want to talk about in the coming weeks ahead. Now, one thing is for sure, here we are in the beginning of the year 2018, and I was thinking... How many people really understand how the North and South Korea uh, came into being? It's the Korean Peninsula, isn't it? And then it was divided uh, in the Korean War. And I think it would be very, very good to have a guest on sometime to explain all of that to our audience. Because North Korea is sure different in South Korea, there are so many things I want to, to really explore deeply with you. For instance, why does it cost so much for a couple who want to adopt a baby here in the United States, and it takes thousands and thousands of dollars for a loving couple to adopt a baby who needs a home? Well, we'll get into that. I want to have some guests on the program they can explain that to me because I kind of think there's a lot of fat uh, that needs to be cut away and uh, and get right to the issue, which, of course, is what I kind of like to do. Let's go to the bone. Let's find out what the problem is first and then find out what we can do to make things happen rather than just sit around and perpetuate the same old stuff. And this is what today's program is going to be about a little bit. Okay, because what we've been talking about so far is not what it's going to be about. Well, no. But and, and I might say you have a cold, too. People might hear that. Uh, you're, you're not in your normal you good voice. I have a cold. No, my, my, <laughs> first of all, I have a problem with my voice anyway, and I've got to go to the doctor in the next couple of weeks. But then I picked up a chest cold which certainly complicated the whole thing, but it didn't stop my mind from working. (laughs) And uh, 85 or not, 84, I'm 84. But anyway, these things have been mulling over in my mind. So many times the listener comments, when they call in, it kind of stimulates things that we want to talk about in the future. Now, here's the point for today's program. Well, wait a minute. Um, What is that listener comment line doing? Let people know how they can call and and let us know about your favorite programs. It's 800-345-2621. 800-345-2621. Now, here's the deal. Whatever the state is that people are listening to our broadcast right now, from Indiana all the way down to Texas and everywhere in between and then clear out to California, you have a state government with a governor and a legislature and uh, and uh, and then a and the supreme court well a state supreme court system a judicial system all of that and so many times christians we have been conditioned now we don't get into that we don't get into politics for goodness sakes don't talk to me about politics so we won't talk about politics but we'll talk about issues 
because it's time for people that know and love the Lord to put on their big boy pants, to put on their adult clothes, and say, I am a citizen of the United States of America. I am a citizen of the town or the state in which I live. And so I'm going to have my part to vote and to be aware and to keep up on things. And the speaker that we have on today fills the bill. Now, there was a meeting a while back, and you were there. Tell us about it. I was. You know, Dad, I like to talk about righteousness issues. And so often, righteousness issues have a way of becoming political issues in this day and age, which is a shame. But just because some people call it political, that doesn't mean Christians shouldn't address the sanctity of human life, the sanctity and holiness of marriage, and religious liberty and so forth. These are things that Christians ought to speak up boldly for and contend for. I'll tell you this, getting our school systems so they're accountable. They teach our children, our little boys and girls, and yet they are not held accountable for what they accomplish in the course of a school year. And that has been a national disgrace in every state where this broadcast is being heard now. So we'll get into some of those Parents have a biblical mandate to care for the education of their children. Well, tell us now about Josh Well, this is so wonderful, Dad. Uh, And we haven't had a chance to air this yet because of the Christmas holidays, New Year's and everything. But on uh, December 7th and 8th, there was a pastor's and Pews event called the uh, American Renewal Project, and it took place in Kansas City, and some wonderful speakers, uh, Ken Graves, Oz Guinness, David Barton, Bill Federer, E.W. Jackson, and so many more, and the one that we want to have uh, for you today is Joshua Hawley. Now, Joshua Hawley is the Attorney General for the state of Missouri, recently elected, and he is going to be running for the U.S. Senate uh, for Claire McCaskill's seat. And so we're very excited about him because he is a neat guy that loves the Lord, has a passion oh, for religious liberty. He was uh, one of the key attorneys with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty yeah. that took the Hobby Lobby case to the Supreme right. Court and won for religious right, liberty. Now listen, folks in other states, uh, as you listen to Josh Hawley, you can say, I want to advance political leaders public leaders who have the same heart and the same intellect and the same fervor as this fellow. But people listening in Missouri right now, I want you to know this is your attorney general, and he has announced that he's going to run for the U.S. Senate in this next election because we have a senator from Missouri, Claire McCaskill, who voted along with Barack Obama for everything that has made America a mess. And Josh Hawley is going to be her opponent. But let's see what he had to say to these preachers. About 500 pastors in the Kansas City area. And here it is. I want to talk to you today about our call as believers in the public realm, in public life, which is where I've been called. I am, as Rich said, the Attorney General of the state of Missouri. I was elected last year. It's been an enormous privilege to have served as Attorney General this past year and to continue to do so. I believe that uh, I I feel a call. uh, That's why I'm here. A call towards public service as a form of ministry. But here is the bottom line. Every one of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, every one of us is called to raise our voice in the public realm. Every one of us is called to stand for Christ in the public realm. And the Bible is very clear about it. You can see, take Ephesians. 
where Paul describes the Lord that we serve. In a passage I know that you know well, Ephesians 1, he says that God the Father raised Christ from the dead and seated him, that is Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. To us, to his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that say? The Lord who we serve, the Lord Jesus, is the ruler of all things. He is the Lord of all. In the words of the psalmist, the Lord reigns. There is only one God. That God is Jesus Christ who is seated on the throne and is Lord over all. And here is what we are charged with as Christians. It's actually very simple, I think. As believers, we are charged to take that message that the Lord reigns, that Jesus Christ reigns, that he is risen and is seated on the throne. We are called to take that message into every sphere of life that we touch, including, including the political realm. Amen? So for those who say, for those who say that you are welcome to practice your faith between 11 and 12 on a Sunday inside the walls of your church, I'm afraid we have to respectfully say, not going to happen. Because the Lord Jesus is Lord for more than that one hour on Sunday mornings, is he not? He is Lord over every sphere of life. As Abraham Kuyper, the great prime minister of the Netherlands, theologian once put it, there is not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ is not Lord. And that is the message, that is the gospel message that we have to take into every sphere, but especially into the public sphere. And I just want to say a word or two to you this morning about some ways in which I believe that that gospel proclamation of the Lordship of Christ plays out in public and the challenges that we are facing now in the public and the political realm where we are called to stand for Christ, to stand for his Lordship, and to stand for his rule over the nations. Because make no mistake about it, Christ is is raised and seated on high, and he is ruling over all the nations. You remember that passage from Genesis 49, Jacob, the great patriarch Jacob, he is, he is dying. He's going home to the Lord and he brings his sons to bless them. Do you remember this passage? It, he comes to Judah. Of course, we know who would come from Judah's line. He comes to Judah and he blesses Judah in this way. He says, Judah is a lion's cub. And then he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And now get this, and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. He's talking about Jesus there, isn't he? To him shall be the obedience of the nations, prophesying about the Messiah who shall come. That is what we are seeking. That is our charge, to take the lordship of Christ, that message, into the public realm and to seek the obedience of the nations, of our nation. To seek the obedience, to to influence our society. Indeed, more than that, to transform our society, to reflect the gospel truth and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is our charge. It has not changed in 200 years since this country, 200 plus years since this country was founded. It does not change with the passing whims and fads of the age. That is our solemn charge. And for that task, we are empowered by the Lord himself, by the word and by the spirit. So let me share with you a couple of thoughts this morning 
about some of the challenges I believe we face in our present age, in our present moment, to take this gospel message, to take this gospel truth, the lordship of Christ, and to perform our service seeking the obedience of the nation, to take that into the public realm. It is no surprise to you, I know, to hear that we live in a moment when the truth of the gospel and the lordship of Christ is increasingly under threat and indeed rejected in our public life. You know that's true. I suspect you wouldn't be here today if you did not know that that was true. And there are several areas, and I want to begin with one in particular, where we're seeing this battle fought. And that is, first of all, the battle for religious liberty. The battle for religious liberty. We have a powerful element in our country today. Sometimes they style themselves as secular progressives. Sometimes they use other names. A powerful element with powerful allies in Washington, D.C., in Hollywood, in Wall Street, and elsewhere, who would seek to shut out our voice, who would seek to shut out the faithful practice of the gospel, who would seek to shut out all faithful religious practice and belief from the public realm. They would do it in the name of liberty, sometimes in the name of equality, but of course we know it's no such thing. For the agenda that they seek is not liberty at all. It's a form of authoritarianism. It is not equality at all. It's a form of privilege for those who hate the gospel. This is why the fight for religious liberty is in many ways the fight for the very character of America. It is our fight. It is the great fight of this hour. And let me tell you two stories, short, short, I promise, two brief stories about real people who as an attorney I have had the privilege to represent and to fight with that I think illustrate this battle for religious liberty. The first one is a small little church school in Michigan, a school that was started by, founded by, run by a local Lutheran parish, a school that wanted its teachers to adhere to the Christian faith and to the truth of the gospel, that wanted to pass that faith and the gospel along to its students, wanted to teach the gospel pervasively in every aspect of the curriculum and all parts of the school day, and therefore asked its teachers to consider themselves ministers and indeed to go through ministry training in order to be teachers in the school. This is a small school, by the way, small, 20, 30 kids in a class, pre-K up through grade school. Do you know that this school had a teacher who refused to abide by the Lutheran teachings that the school prescribed? And when the school tried to discipline her for it, sued them instead, bringing a charge of discrimination against the school. And this little church school was told by the state of Michigan that their attempt, that their requirement, that all of their teachers follow and adhere to the Christian faith and to the teachings of the Lutheran Church, that that was a form of religious discrimination that was prohibited, not just under Michigan law, but under the Constitution of the United States. That's right. Then this little school did something awfully brave. They decided, small school, small congregation, faithful congregation, but small, they decided to take on this giant, the state of Michigan, And then the federal government weighed in, the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission weighed in and said that indeed they thought the Michigan outcome was right and this church was discriminating. They decided to fight. And so they came to a group of us, a group of attorneys, religious liberty litigators, 
at a place called the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, and we took their case all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And in a 9-0 opinion, you talk about the favor of the Lord, 9-0 opinion. I still can't believe we got those votes. 9-0, to zero, the Supreme Court of the United States rejected the government's position. Do you know that the government, the government of the United States, President Barack Obama, he sent his head lawyer, his solicitor general, it's called, into the court, and the court, the lawyer argued this, the government lawyer argued this. They said that a church is no different from any other club. A church is like a bowling group or a reading group, or maybe, maybe, maybe on a good day, maybe like the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. The church has no particular privileges, the government said, under the Constitution of the United States. None. None. In a 9-0 opinion, the Supreme Court said that is an outrageous position. Churches are specially protected by the Constitution of the United States. The court upheld in that case, it's called the Hosanna Tabor case. The Hosanna, that's the name of the little school and church. The court upheld in that case a very important principle, and that is churches have a right to be free. Churches have a right to be autonomous from the government. The government may not tell you, they may not tell you what to preach, what to believe, who to hire, how to discipline your pastors or your congregation. They may not, because the church is free. That is a principle on which we must stand and fight in coming years, because the fight is only beginning. And believe me, since that decision in 2012, the opponents of religious liberty have not rested. You know they haven't. They have launched new battles on other fronts. And now the danger that we will be told, that you will be told what you can and cannot preach, what wedding ceremonies you may and may not perform in your churches, to whom you may and may not open your sanctuaries, those dangers are very real. They are very real and they are growing. They are gathering in front of us. We must stand for and affirm our Constitution's firm protections for the right of churches to be autonomous, for churches to be free, and for churches to preach the gospel. And I'm here to tell you, so long as I'm Attorney General of the state of Missouri, or hold any office, or have any voice in this nation, I will fight for it as long as I live. But we're also fighting for not just the right of our churches to be free, not just the right of our churches to preach the gospel, but the right of us as believers to take that gospel, the truth of the lordship of Jesus Christ, to take it with us into the public sphere every place that we go. So let me tell you a second story. This one I think you probably know quite well. It's the story of a family business, a business that was started in the back of a garage in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, back in the 1970s. A couple named David and Barbara Green borrowed $300 in cash from some friends and bought some supplies and started making at their kitchen table picture frames. And they'd take those frames into the back of their garage and they'd sell them out of the back of their garage and they called their little company Hobby Lobby. And that's how it started in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And over the years, the Lord blessed that company from the very beginning, David and Barbara Green wanted to found this business and run this business to honor the Lord Jesus. They wanted to give back to their community and have the business itself be a gospel witness. So they paid their employees well. 
well above the minimum wage. They're entry-level employees. They provided generous health care to them, closed on Sundays, closed early. I don't know if you've ever tried to shop at Hobby Lobby late at night. They're not open. They close early. It's, it's sometimes for us, you, you go there, they're not open. Why aren't they open? Because they've allowed their employees to go home to be with their families. It's a choice that the Greens made early on. They won't uh, sell products that they think are inconsistent with their faith in the gospel. And all they asked, all the Greens asked ever, was to be able to be left alone, to be able to run their business and honor the Lord and give back to their communities and their state and ultimately their nation. And the Lord blessed them. He blessed them greatly. They had some ups and downs as a business. They persevered. And 30, 40 years later, they had stores, and I think it's now 42 or 43 states, employing over 16,000 Americans here in this country in good-paying jobs. And they were told by our federal government and by the Obama administration and the Washington bureaucrats, they were told by these people in 2012 that if they did not compromise... Their firm belief in the sanctity of every human life, the sanctity of every human life, if they did not compromise that belief and start paying for and providing in their company health care plan drugs that can cause abortions, if they didn't do that, the government said, then the federal government said they were going to fine Hobby Lobby $1 million every day, every day, until the company either knuckled under and David and Barbara changed their beliefs or just went out of business. In the United States of America, in the year 2012, this is the choice our federal government was putting to private citizens in a private business, paying their employees well, the model company, responsible, forthright, honest, and followers of Jesus Christ. That's the choice they put to them. Well, you know, David and Barbara Green are maybe the most courageous clients I think I've ever represented. They had a family meeting. There's three generations of Greens now that are involved in Hobby Lobby. They had a family meeting. David tells the story so much better than I do. You should hear him tell it. They prayed to the Lord. They, they fasted. They grappled with the fact. And David said to his children and his grandchildren, he said, if we take a stand and if we go to court and if we fight this, we could lose this entire company. We could lose it all, all of it. And he said to his, to his great delight, his children and his grandchildren said, we have to take a stand. We're willing to lose it all. Because you know what? The company, as David said, I get choked up here just, just saying it. The company, David said, was never ours to begin with. It always belonged to the Lord. It always belonged to the Lord. So... They did something truly courageous. They got over their natural aversion to lawyers. They came to healthy aversion. They came to our firm, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. We brought suit against the federal government. We fought that case all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And by a vote of five to four, we defeated the federal government in the Supreme Court of the United States. The Hobby Lobby case stands for a vitally important principle. It's vitally important. It says that when you enter the workplace or the schoolhouse or the public square in general, you do not leave behind your rights as an American. And in particular, you do not leave behind your right to exercise the freedom of religion. Why is that true? We know why it's true as believers. 
It's because the Lord Jesus is Lord over every sphere of life. He doesn't cease to be Lord when we go into business, does he? He doesn't cease to be Lord when we go to school. He doesn't cease to be Lord when we step out on the street out here. Because he's Lord of all those spheres of life, we have an obligation to proclaim him in every sphere of life. And the Constitution of the United States protects that right and that duty. That right and that duty is now under threat. You know it is. It is under threat. Hobby Lobby, one of the most controversial decisions rendered by the Supreme Court in the last five years, which is extraordinary that this should be controversial in any way, but it is because of the people who have long led this country, the self-proclaimed elite, the secular progressives and their allies. They hate that decision and they are seeking to undermine it at every possible turn and to undermine our ability, our ability as followers of Jesus Christ to proclaim our faith. And this gets to the case that, that Rich Bott mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court just heard about whether or not a, a someone who runs a, a business a baking cakes involved in wedding ceremonies, does that person have to participate in a wedding ceremony that violates his faith? Does he have to? The Supreme Court's now grappling with that question. And make no mistake, in the coming months and years, we will face continued efforts to shut out the gospel from the public sphere in every, in every arena and to shut down Christians who seek to faithfully, winsomely, and lovingly proclaim the gospel. And here's my, here's my request of you. I ask you not to be afraid in standing up and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord over every sphere of life. I ask you not to assent to this idea that Christian faith and practice means from 11 to 12 on Sundays inside the wall of a church. I ask you to proclaim boldly and to encourage your congregations to live boldly, to say that Jesus is Lord. We will not back down. We will take him and proclaim him everywhere, and we will suffer whatever consequences come our way. And this matters for the very character of our country. Because by standing for the truth of the gospel and standing for the lordship of Jesus Christ, we do a service to every other person in this country, whether they follow the Lord or not, whether they yet know the Lord or not. Because by standing for the rights of the church to be free, by standing for the rights of every individual to follow the Lord in every sphere of life, we stand for, the, for this important principle that government, government is not God. Government is limited. There is a red line over which government may not cross. Government may not tell us what to believe. It may not tell us who we can meet with. It may not tell us where to go or what to do. And we stand, this is at the bedrock of who we are as Americans. It's at the very foundation of our constitution. And as we stand for religious liberty, we renew that constitutional faith. We renew those constitutional principles. And ladies and gentlemen, we preserve a free and open society. We do this. We do this as an act of service to the Lord because we love the Lord and we do it in order to serve our neighbors. And I just want to submit to you, there is no better or more important way to serve our neighbors, our non-believing neighbors, than to stand for these important principles, to stand for their right to follow their conscience. Because we know, we know there's only one Lord of conscience. And that Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the fight for religious liberty is a fight for the very character of our country, for the future of our country, for the heart of our constitution. And I can tell you it is a fight that will not be won. It will not be won 
unless we stand together, unless we stand firm, unless we have courage and proclaim boldly the Lordship of Christ. Though the challenges we face, whether it is religious liberty, the breakdown of our culture, the assault on the family, marriage, the loss of meaningful work, those things are real, they are significant, the challenges are grave. In many ways, the hour is late. But do you know that there are as many Christians today in the United States of America who regularly go to worship the Lord on a regular weekly basis. There are as many of us today as a percentage of the population as there were in 1950. And there are as many of us today who regularly go to worship the Lord and join in a believing community as many today as there were in 1900. Here's my point. We need to stop worrying and whining about the decline of Christian faith in America and start doing something about it. There are more than enough. There are more than enough believing Christians. We need to hear the word that the Lord said to Elijah. I have thousands who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are more than enough believing Christians in this society to change our society. So let's start wor- stop worrying and whining about it and let's get on with it. Amen. And I'll say more than that. Is Christ not risen? Do we not have the spirit? We do. So in the power of the spirit... In the confidence of the risen Lord, we must go forward. And let us hear again, and I'll end with this, the words of Paul in Galatians. Galatians 6, 9, you know the verse, let us not grow weary of doing good. Not grow weary. For in due season, we will reap. If, if we do not give up. Thank you for all you do. God bless you. It's a privilege to be with you. Thank you very much. And that's Joshua Hawley, Attorney General from the great state of Missouri, the Show Me State, and he's speaking to a group of 500 pastors, and it was just terrific. That was just last month. He's running for the United States Senate in this next election against Claire McCaskill. So you folks in Missouri, you make note of that name. This is Dick Bott with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service, and I'll see you later.